Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's season three of the Wit and Whiskey cast. Uh, I'm so glad you've joined us today. Uh, I am here, as always, with my wonderful co-host, Mark Rossetti. Woo! Three's the magic number, and that's what season we're on. It is. And I'm DJ Gagnon, in case you missed it before. Uh, we do a whiskey review podcast, and if you're listening, I'm going to assume that you know what we're talking about. <laughs> Wait, is that what we're supposed to be doing on this show? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're supposed to be... Mark, did you not know? I mean, you know, we just kind of, we, we go with it, you know, so. All right, cool. I, you know, I guess we can review whiskey and talk about other things. I, I'm just, I'm all excited today, DJ, because we're talking about my favorite thing in the world. Mine too. I know. We're starting off with a bang this season. We are. I feel like it won't get too contentious until we try to compare them, but that's okay. We'll leave that for later. Yeah, yeah, we, we won't butt heads quite yet. But before we get into it, how's your, uh, how's your week been, buddy? It has been busy as all hell, if we're being brutally honest. I was running around with my grandmother, was doing work stuff, was, you know, tinkering on the roadsters since I tried to, you know, melt it down into a million pieces over Memorial Day. Uh <laughs> It's just, you know, little odds and ends and going on and going on. And, you know, you and I were talking a little bit off air, trying to catch up on some of my backlog of video games. Uh, the Avengers game is going off of PS Now in July, which seems kind of anti-Captain America to pull it off for the 4th of July. But what do I know? <laughs> uh, and uh, the game just doesn't want to end. I'm kind of running into the same problem I had with Doom Eternal when it's just like, all right, kind of ready for this to be over now. That's never a good thing with a with a video game. So I think I'm going to move on to uh, one of the franchises we're going to talk about today. I think where I'm going to move on to the Star Wars game because Star Wars, what Fa- is it? Fallen Squadrons? Order? Oh, Squadrons. I don't know. There's a free Star Wars game this month that I downloaded and haven't played. I don't remember which one it is. It, we'll talk about it next week probably. Is it a dogfighting one or a lightsaber one? Think it's a dog fighting one, but yeah. I don't know. I haven't played it. That's probably Squadrons. <laughs> Either way, if you have PlayStation, go on PS Plus for this month. There's a free Star Wars game of some description. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. What about you? What'd you do this week? Well, I can actually talk about it today because it, it finally happened today. Uh, I'm transitioning into a new job. Woo! Yeah, it's really exciting. Uh, I'm moving out of software engineering and into uh, what's called product ownership, and it's, it's a bit more of a leadership role. So uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, I, it's you know working more of those people skills than the coding skills, and I'm, I'm pretty passionate about it. So, uh, it, so it, it means I'm heading in for a, a bit of a hectic week because uh, this is my one week of transition between the two teams. Now, you say you're moving into product ownership, so you're one of the guys now that is selling all these NFTs that I keep seeing. Well, no. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I vaguely understand the, the technology behind it, but that is not what I am doing. I mean, that's more than I know. <laughs> yeah, it's... I know enough about it to be like, that's stupid. So... <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, but other than that, in terms of video games, I'm pretty pumped because this week the new Ratchet and Clank is out. Is it really? It is. Rift Apart comes out, I think, like Thursday night or Friday morning. Damn, I was going to pick up Mass Effect this week, but I may hold off and pick up Ratchet and Clank. 
I'm I really enjoyed the reboot from a few years ago. So did I, actually. I know you and I, as usual, are str- solidly in the minority there. <laughs> yeah. But I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I had never really played a Ratchet & Clank game, and it was good enough that I went back and played a bunch of the old ones. It's a fun gimmick. Uh, it's a fun universe they have built up, both lore-wise and physically, since it's a space franchise. I, I'm going to be honest, it... It kind of scratches my sonic itch. I could see that. I could see that. Sonic Team Racing's free this month, too. Second shameless plug. Yeah, oh, I'm totally going to be playing that. It looks so Sony, good. just start sending the checks. I mean, it's all good. Yeah, and you know, if Sony, if you just want to come out with more Sonic games, that'd be great. Well, they are. Well, S- Sega is. <laughs> yeah. we, we saw, like, what, a 10-second trailer of a foot. Yeah. So it's coming. Uh, is it this year that we get Sonic 2, or is it next year? Uh, I believe it's next year, unfortunately. I believe it's April. Oh, I want to see my boy Tails. Uh, there have been quite a few leaked, and I use that term leaked uh, loosely because I am a jaded individual, and I firmly believe that the studio has been leaking them on purpose. But uh, there's been quite a few leaked photos of on-set things with some fairly major spoilers. So if you're really interested in the movie, don't don't go online. Don't Google it. Yeah, exactly. Just Don't just, even look up the date. Just when it comes out, just go. Yeah, j- just enjoy things. It's fine. But, Mark, what are you, uh, what are you drinking? Well, now, uh, we just finished as we record this. Saturday was the Belmont Stakes. And... I'm not big on racing of the single horsepower variety normally, mm-hmm. but I do get pretty big into the Triple Crown. Um, you know, it's has a major history in this country. They're all over 150 years old. They all are rich in just pageantry and goofy traditions, you know, you go to the Kentucky Derby and you wear, the ladies wear big hats and the men wear their seersucker suits and you play on my old Kentucky home and just all that goofy-ass, pompous shit. The other cool thing about the Triple Crown is they are all very uh, deeply tied in to alcohol culture, more specifically, bourbon culture. Ooh. And each one of the races has a distinctive drink. Now, the famous one, of course, is the Kentucky Derby with the mint julep, the $5,000 mint julep that they were selling this year. Jesus. And there was a line. There was a line. Uh, The Belmont has the Belmont jewel, and I was actually going to do a Belmont jewel for this episode since the Belmont just ended, but I don't have any pomegranate juice, and I didn't have time to go to the store to buy some. So I think I'm going to do a blog post on all the different uh, Triple Crown drinks. But what I am drinking is one of the two drinks for the Preakness, the one most people probably uh, know a little bit better, the Black-Eyed Susan. So every horse race also has uh, flowers that the winning horse gets. The Kentucky Derby has roses. The Belmont has carnations. The Preakness has the Black-Eyed Susan, both the flower and the drink. And it's pretty freaking good. Uh, it's bourbon of your choice. It's vodka of your choice. And uh, sour mix and orange juice 
and then maraschino cherries and orange slices, all in a giant glass mixed together. Wow. Now, full disclosure, we were running up a bit against uh, time here to record, so, uh, you know, send your hate tweets away, but I did commit a cardinal sin here. Oh, no. I did use powdered sour mix. Get because out. I, I didn't have time. I didn't have time. Powdered uh, sour mix. What a travesty. That's hey, worse than your I, opinion about shaking martinis. Hey, at least I admit it. And I admit that it's not good. I admit that it's a sin, but I just didn't have time. And the box was sitting there on the shelf. The box was unopened for the record. I can't tell you how many years it's been sitting on the bar with there was a good solid inch, inch and a half of dust on it. So I finally broke it open tonight. But this is really, really good. Uh, the best way I could describe it is if you've ever drank as a kid, and again, we're talking about powdered, but the powdered tang that used to have the monkey on it. And I think they made some in like Capri Sun pouches as well later on. It tastes like that, but with booze in it and chunks of fruit. And I put it in a big fishbowl brandy sifter highball glass gimmick thing so and you can't see through it so it's like a big fruity tang slushy surprise thing think rock and rye but good because <laughs> there's you know there's fruit in rock and rye so think like rock and rye but in orange juice and good so yeah uh, keep, keep a lookout uh, I'll have uh, I've started writing the blog post hopefully this week or next I'll get it done depending on how crazy work is and we'll go through all four there's three races but there's four drinks and we'll go through all of that for the triple crown I can't. I can't. Even. What about you, brother? What are you drinking? Well, if you haven't hung up because of Mark's heresy, and uh, you're better off that you're you're a better person than we are if you haven't. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I uh, my whiskey choice actually kind of folds right into tools of the trade today, um, but I'm going to talk about the whiskey first, and uh, I went with Bullet Bourbon. Uh, I went back through what we had done in the past. Uh, to double check, and I was right. You you did bullet rye, I think, in season one. Wait, I reviewed a rye. That doesn't sound like me. I know, right? <laughs> uh, but but I, I decided to do bullet bourbon. It's uh, a nice, accessible bourbon for episode one of season three. Here, uh, it's about thirty two dollars or so up here in New England for uh, for seven fifty mil. Uh, it's about it's, the same here in PA. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I mean, it's it's a good, uh, you know, it's not bottom shelf. You know, you're not you're not going with the, uh, you know, your your blackberry flavored whatnot. Um, it, it's a good way to get into whiskey. So I, I definitely recommend anybody that's like, I don't know if I'm gonna like whiskey. I re- I actually recommend Bullet Bourbon before I do the Rye, and the Rye is good, uh, but I definitely find Bourbon to be. A little bit more accessible than rye. Rye's kind of yes. get that punchy in the tongue, and bourbon's like, "Hey, come and hang out with caramel and and some nutmeg and and you know things that are are tasty and kind of holiday ish." Uh, so that's kind of what we're going with here. Uh, bullet bourbon. It's got that nice uh, like a, a toffee finish. It's got some spice notes on the tongue. It's not too spicy it's not too peppery it's not too doesn't have too much of that burn going down and it finishes off in that nice sweet kind of mellow out it's just an all-around good bourbon 
Um, I use it a lot for cocktails. Uh, I like it in a Manhattan. I like it in an old fashioned. Uh, it, it's pretty accessible um, for, for cocktail culture, for mixology, for, for whatever you want to play with. So if you're looking to up your whiskey game a little bit, but you don't want to go uh, for you know one of the blue or black labels on that top shelf, uh, you know check out Bullet Bourbon. It's pretty solid. Yeah, I I enjoy most things in the Bullet line, and I you know echo your sentiments. I came to rye from bourbon. I definitely think most people should start with bourbon. You know, I took a little detour. I was scotch first, then I went to bourbon, then I went to rye. Wow. But if you just jump into rye out of nowhere, I mean, you might like it, but it's definitely an acquired taste. It is. And I feel like rye is kind of the reward for getting through bourbon. <laughs> uh, not to say that bourbon's I like bad, that. but, you know, I, I, like Mark, enjoy a really nice rye. And, it you know, rye, rye expects more out of you. It takes a, a little bit more of an acquired taste, whereas, you know, bourbon or... You know, some of your American whiskeys are a little bit smoother. They're a little bit more accessible. I actually tend to recommend people who are out of college and looking to get into a whiskey palette. I recommend checking out bourbons before I recommend something like Jack Daniels. Because whereas Jack Daniels is good, it's got that, you know, charcoal burn on the back end. And uh, while I I do enjoy it, I am not a cowboy, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I tend to uh, recommend bourbons to people who are looking to kind of make their way out of a vodka or a rum palette into whiskey. Yeah, I can't argue with any of that. So, all right, do you do you want to put your segment next, or should we go with Whiskey News? How are we going to do the new order? Since season three, we're jam-packed this season, folks. It's true. It's true. I think we should, we should preserve it and keep Whiskey News uh, first. Well, I had something that I literally sat at my computer screen uh, late last night and just stared at it because I had seen, I knew, you know, I can obviously read English. I can obviously write English. You know, I have a weekly or monthly newspaper column for my job, rather. I have this and that. I speak a little Italian. I know some Spanish. I know some German. Pretty proficient in Latin. So I knew what all the words in this headline meant. But I had never seen them arranged that way in the English language. And I sat there just staring at it for a long time. And so I found an article in the Virginian Pilot, which is a newspaper. Uh, It's written by a gentleman named Matthew Korfhag. I hope I didn't butcher your name too bad there, Matthew. And the headline is, Intergalactic Metal Band Guar has its own Virginia whiskey arriving this week. I... One more time, please. (laughs) Intergalactic Metal Band Guar has its own Virginia whiskey arriving this week. Why are there aliens making whiskey in our country? Uh, well, I mean outer space aliens. I'm not being racist, folks. No, it, it, it's true. Um, if you've never seen Guar, oh boy, how do I even go about describing this? Uh, well, they wear costumes. And basically, think of the bad guys in Return of the Jedi in, like, the Jabba the Hutt palace scene. It's kind of what they're all dressed like. 
And, you know, they do a stage show with blood and fake puke and all kinds of fake bodily fluids and lasers and lights. And they're, they're like a death metal band. Huh. I couldn't tell you any of the music they actually like sing. Uh, uh, but they're out there and you mostly, I, from what I understand, you go to them to see the show, not necessarily to hear their music. Uh, and these guys decided that they wanted to have a whiskey. And so they found this small distillery uh, called Catakin, C-A-T-O-C-T-I-N, Catacin, Catakin Creek, which is in Virginia. And it's only 12 years old, but at the same time, it is the very first distillery in Loudoun County, Virginia, since Prohibition. But I imagine they found this young distillery that only makes like two things, and they basically just showed up and they went to this, their, the owner, a guy named Scott Harris, and said, we want a whiskey. And more specifically, they want a rye. <laughs> so Ragnarok Rye is going to uh, be available this week. Uh, may, actually, it'll be available by the time you listen to this. And the description is that Ragnarok Rye is both fire and whiskey. It is blood magic. It is overproof rye with the terrifying flavors of delicate sugar maple. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So um, I doubt we'll be able to get this in Pennsylvania, but if we can, I will buy a bottle just out of morbid curiosity. I'll keep an eye on the New Hampshire liquor stores too. I um, I'm looking. This is 92 proof. That does that count as overproof? Uh no. But y- <laughs> you know, bless them. They tried. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah, cute. So far. it's uh, well. Apparently, it's available for pre-order on their website right now. It comes with a randomly selected collectible metal bar top. And bottles cost $99.99. Oh, Jesus. So, so there you go. If you're interested, type in Cattison, Catatin Creek Distillery. Their website will come up and you could pre-order it right from their website. I am not $100 curious, for the record. So scratch no. that idea. But if you'd like to send us a bottle for us to review, P.O. Buck, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, and we'll, you know, we'll even play some guar over it while we drink it. How's that? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was the headline that I found at like 12.30 last night and went, this is too fucking good. This is the whiskey news. That's amazing. All right, so take us into the first official Tools of the Trade. We had a preview, but we've never done a proper segment. Yeah, Tools of the Trade, I feel like I should have like a little stinger here, but I will probably not figure that out in time. Um, So yeah, Tools of the Trade, folks. Uh, Mark and I actually uh, both tried this out this week um well we tried different techniques we did we did and uh so what we're talking about today is uh this category of whiskey enhancers uh called whiskey smokers and uh i i found this really interesting i had seen it pop up on uh my my internet ads a couple of times and as we were heading into planning season three Mark and I were like, hey, let's celebrate and get each other some of these uh, weird things. And uh, so. Well, uh, that's not exactly how it happened. uh, Yeah, that's totally how it happened. (laughs) We were online. I believe we were recording the Memorial Day special, were we not? 
And I think DJ had more than just the drink he was toasting with. <laughs> and I got the, oh, by the way, I'm getting you something. And I said, wait, what? And he goes, yeah, I'm ordering you a present. And I'm like, what? Are you fucking around? Are you go, no, I'm going to get you this, this smoking kit, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, shit, okay, because much like DJ, I had been getting a lot of ads for them as well, which I blame Miranda for. <laughs> Our friend Lou's sister, uh, she got Lou a smoking kit, and we were all very jealous of him. So uh, I had a few saved on my Amazon watch list and was just comparing and contrasting and it was one of those, eh, yeah, eventually I'll order one, blah, blah, blah. Now, the bunny was excited <laughs> and we were getting a smoking kit and so as DJ will talk about it, there are a few different ways to do this. So he ordered us one kit, uh, one technique to do it and I said, well, the hell with it, I have this other way to do it saved on my Amazon list, I'll order us that one. <laughs> so, so now we good. have two smoking kits. Yeah. And the nice thing about the one that Mark sent is uh, you can use it for more than just whiskey, too. You can kind of put it in with, like, a charcuterie board and smoke some cheese. There's some so some pretty cool stuff you can do with it. The fat guy always sends stuff to smoke cheese. I <laughs> love some smoked cheese. It's so good. Uh, so the, uh, the ones we're talking about today, um, and, and if you're kind of looking for this, uh, there's one called Fog Hat that you can find, and there's another one called... Uh, smoke cube. It's like smoke to the power of three. Yeah, I haven't figured out. It's much like, is it proper 12 or is it proper number 12? I don't know if it's the smoke cube or if it's smoke cubed. Because it's spelled both ways on the box, and I'm very confused. It took me a minute of looking at it being like, what the smoke to three? Oh, I get it. But there's four cubes in the box. <laughs> God aren't. damn it. Yeah. So uh, the, the one that I did tonight was I, I did smoke cubed. Uh, or smoke cube. Uh, uh, so I took the block of cherry, and I took my cool... Uh, I've got one of those butane torches for creme brulee, because I'm bougie. And I put it on a cutting board, I just torched the hell out of it, and as it, when I finally got it to catch flame... I took my whiskey glass, I put it upside down over it, and I kind of let some smoke capture in it, and then I put the whiskey glass down over it on top of the the cube to kind of let the the fire go out. And you can slow. It's this kind of cool show. So if you're if you're ever uh, you know bartending for some friends or bartending in real life, uh, it, it, this is a kind of a cool show to do so you can slowly watch smoke fill up this this little whiskey glass and once you know i just kind of left it there for you know five ten minutes and i came back i poured some some whiskey in it and kind of swirled it around and it uh it definitely imparts a really interesting flavor um i happen to love the smell of of cherry wood i I love burning it I, i love the smell of it and you know woodworking and it definitely made it smoky. Uh, you heard me earlier talk about bullet bourbon and how it's kind of sweet and doesn't really have that kick. Well, it's got a kick now. Uh, and it's it's really nice. It's not overly smoky, but you know you get some uh, some of that uh, essence that kind of clings to the glass. It smells really good. It and any mixologist will tell you not to underestimate smell. In, in mixology. 
Uh, you know, it's the reason why when you make a mojito, you smack that mint before you kind of put it on top of the drink. It's the reason why you express the, the orange peel over a cocktail. And it's the reason why, you know, this is really important. It, it definitely imparts a bit of a taste of smoke, but like 90% of it is that, is that kind of nasal, you're, you're inhaling it, you get this nice, good smoke, and then the whiskey hits you. It's amazing. Uh, what did you What did you think of uh, Fog Hat? I, I enjoyed the Fog Hat. Now the the I'll probably be doing a proper review of a cocktail with the Fog Hat uh, later on this season, and I do want to actually make a video for our YouTube channel, which is dearth of content right now. <laughs> but it's a little bit different. You have a wooden bowl that sort of ha- it's sort of like a funnel, but there's no hole at the bottom. And you put it on top of your glass and you fill the top part, the opening, with wood chips. And, you know, it's just like the smoke cubes. There's all different types of wood that you could put in, but it's shredded. It's almost like uh, chewing tobacco, but they're wood. Yeah. And you put them in there and then you put a metal mesh over it, which for the life of me, I haven't quite figured out why. I think you're supposed to put the wood in the metal mesh so it's easier to clean out. See, I thought that too, but the instructions say you put it over it. Oh, man. Maybe I did it wrong the first time. Unless it's a misprint. It could be a misprint. But regardless, uh, there's a few things in the instructions, as we'll get to, that aren't quite right. (laughs) Uh, And so then you light it, and it starts to smoke at the top, but there are small pinholes all around the bottom part of the funnel, and the smoke starts to come out of there, and since the smoke is much heavier then the air that is in the glass, it falls, and it creates a sort of cascady, waterfall-y show. And I made a Manhattan with it, a smoked Manhattan, which was uh, very delicious. And I took a picture of it, and I threw it up on my personal Instagram, and I had a friend of mine text me and say, what did you do to that drink? And I said, well, it was, you know, smoked Manhattan, blah, 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 and I explained it to him, and he said, oh, it looked like one of those things where you got a chemical reaction to occur. <laughs> and I said, no, no, it, it's just smoke. Uh, what I enjoy- Now, it also says in the instructions for the fog hat to fill the bowl two-thirds of the way up. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get any oxygen. It doesn't burn. That is way too much wood. Um, I think that is their way to sell wood refills. Yeah, probably. Because <laughs> you'll get like three drinks out of a can if you do that. But once I figured out that less wood was more and got it working, uh, it worked very well. And what I like about it is you had the nose, like DJ said, you had the initial hit. But the majority of the drink notes, at least with the fog hat, were unchanged. You had the smell, and then you had a little wisp of smoke at the beginning. Then you still got the full flavor of the Manhattan, and then at the end, you had a smoky aftertaste. Mm. You really picked it up at the end, which I thought was really cool. And so you still were able to taste all the flavors of the drink, and then it just added to it. It didn't change anything necessarily. It just put another layer on top. So I recommend. I'm looking forward to using the smoke cubes just because... I think that's a little simpler, and I don't just mean, you know, equipment-wise or anything. It's just you're smoking the glass. So I'm curious to see how that's going to taste versus smoking the cocktail itself. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, I I think be, it, because I just smoked the glass, I get the flavor notes right at the beginning, and then it mellows back into the whiskey. Oh, no. See, I made the Manhattan first, then I put the whole contraption on top. Mm. So I'm I'm curious to see the, the compare and contrast the two. And I suppose if you wanted to be really hardcore, you could do both. Mm. But I don't know if even I like smoke that much. Yeah. There is, uh, so if you're looking for alternatives to actually lighting a fire in your kitchen, um, there are some other things you can do. Uh, there are some sticks you can throw in a whiskey bottle to kind of, um, they're like char sticks that yep. can kind of smoke the whiskey up a little bit. Uh, there's some uh, char cubes that you can like throw one into a glass and, and swirl it around. You'll get that char taste as you're going. Uh, when I reviewed Walrus Blood last season, I think Walrus Blood had the cubes in the bottle, so that's where that kind of nice char came from. So th- there are some alternatives if you're nervous about playing with fire, um, but there, there's some pretty cool stuff you can do. Yeah, and I will say, uh, at least with the fog hat, once you get it rolling, it gets pretty smoky. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, a good thing. I, I could see why they tell you not to let it burn for any more than 8 to 10 seconds, because... Uh, you can you could signal planes with it if you really wanted to. Yeah, yeah. I uh, when I was trying out my fog hat, I um, I definitely did it on my porch because it was it got pretty smoky. Yeah, I was actually down here in the eighteen twenty one studios because I was like, all right, it has a fireplace that works. You know, we smoke cigars in here, but more importantly, there's no smoke detectors anywhere near here. So <laughs> so true. We're, we're gonna do it down here. But yeah, that's our first tool of the trade. I have no idea what I'm going to do next week, but I'll have something for for everybody. Well, I was thinking to you today, DJ, you influenced me with my memorial, uh, the Memorial Day special. I made this black-eyed Susan in my Boston shaker today. <laughs> nice. So, and I explained to the wife, you know, she walked in as I was making it, and I said, you know, there's three different kinds of shakers. And she said, let me guess, you have all three. And I said, no, no, I only have two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I can get anybody to just uh, tell a friend this season, hey, fun fact that I learned in this podcast, I will be happy. It only takes one. That's what we say in the history business. If, if one person learns one thing, you're doing it right. Exactly. But that gets us into our awesome topic, which we haven't actually said what it is yet. Oh, uh, boy, oh, boy. But oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. But you can tell from the, the episode title, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> we... We've done a lot of talking about comic books. We've done a lot of talking about video games. We inevitably have talked about our heroes and heroines before. But this episode, we're actually talking about our sidekicks and our villains. You know, those those side characters that don't tend to feature quite as heavily, but are just as pivotal to the story. Uh, so Mark has taken villains, and I've taken sidekicks. And every one of our friends of either one of us that are listening to this are just rolling their eyes right now at the predictability of it. It's so true. So, Mark, do you want to kick us off? Well, yeah, I think I will. Uh, You know, and I think you're going to touch on this when you start with sidekicks. But both villains and sidekicks, they are part of a greater uh, narrative creation, I think. You need both. I mean, to just have what they call in wrestling parlance, just a white meat baby face. It's an absolute good is pretty boring. I mean, you know, I don't want to get too philosophical here, but can good exist without evil? 
you need a counterbalance. You need a yin to the yang. Uh, and that's where a villain comes in. But more than that, you need an interestingly written villain. Mm. I mean, you know, there's the memes online like, oh, why would you do that? Because I'm evil. You know, and that, that's funny for the first 10 minutes of it. But the truly great villains, uh, the ones that instantly pop in your head when you think of, you know, a bad guy, anyone from Batman's rogues gallery, you know, different ones from the Star Wars universe, uh, different ones from, you know, TV shows you might watch. They all have some underlying motivation that you understand and that in a way you relate to. Mm. Now, you know, you might not relate on a higher level, but there's just something in them that you go, eh, all right, I kind of get that. I don't agree with them, but I get that. And they have that driving force. And now they can be, you know, it could be a purely black and white thing. It could be purely good and evil. They could be, you know, you know, on the side of bad. Or there could be shades of gray. That doesn't necessarily matter. You know, it doesn't. A lot of times you'll see a redeeming arc or you'll see a person that, you know, legitimately believes what they're doing is good. But that's not necessary. You can have somebody that's truly evil as long as they have that little underlying narrative device that lets you understand what drives them. And uh, to me, that's, that's the big part. So I guess we'll start with probably the one we're going to talk about today, for villains anyway, that people would be the most familiar with. And dare I say, it's a little cliche, but it's easy to, you know, talk about. And that is Anakin Skywalker and or Darth Vader, Mm. depending on where in the universe you are. And so, of course, Vader is the right hand of the Emperor, uh, who is, you know, the big bad in two-thirds of the Star Wars series, most, <laughs> yeah. most of the books. Um, and really the narrative arc of going from Anakin Skywalker to Darth Vader to death and redemption is the big driving force in the first six movies. And so Anakin Skywalker was a boy. He was a slave. He It's... A very biblical analogy. He, you know, was an immaculate conception. He's a very Christ-like figure in the early books. And he is supposed to be the chosen one. He's the one that the prophecies have foretold. And he turns. And it's a combination of jealousy. It's a combination of fear. It's a combination of anger and, you know, his girlfriend didn't like him and his mommy didn't hold him enough or held him too much, depending on how you watch the second movie. <laughs> it's all these things. And, but at the end, you sit there and you go, well, I, I can kind of understand why he's pissed off, you know? Qui-Gon got killed. Obi-Wan, you know, took him over to train him and didn't really know what he was doing and tried to be his friend and not necessarily his teacher. And Palpatine is the only one that really sort of talks to him as an equal and treats him with respect. And by the end of it, you still feel some sympathy for Anakin. 
until they make him shout, no, and then it all goes away. (laughs) But if if you cut that out, (laughs) he kind of feels some sympathy for him, and he has the grand face-off with his mentor, and you realize that, no, he still is a youth, he still is a child, he doesn't know half as much that he thinks he knows, and Obi-Wan kicks the shit out of him. And that really works for a lot of different levels. Number one, you know, it's a movie, it's lame, good has to triumph over evil. And so it does. But two, it sets up the second half of the arc. Now he's Darth Vader. Now he's more machine than man. Now he's going out to get revenge and to hunt down the last of the Jedi. And he will find Obi-Wan again. And he will face him again. And this time it'll be different. And so it leads you to the next logical arc. And, you know, then the last phase is he finds Luke, and then, of course, there's I am your father, you know, which was a last-minute rewrite, by the way. Search your feelings. (laughs) Search your feelings. You know it to be true. Uh, And that leads to the redemption because he sees, in Luke, he sees himself just however the hell many years it is canonically later. I don't even remember. And he wants to prevent Luke from going the same way he does. So it's great. I mean, it has influenced literally every supervillain sense in one way or another, for good or for bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, as not just the relationships to the main hero, uh, just the all black. Villains having a respirator problem, heavy breathing. That's a cliche now. Uh, but, you know, you have Emperor Zurg in Toy Story. You have Dark Mayhem in The Thundermans. Uh, you have Darth Vader himself in The Indian in the Cupboard. <laughs> he, he's one of the action figures they put in the cupboard, and he's force-choking everybody. Uh, so, you know, it's basically the, the same thing, and uh, it's a black-and-white comparison, both physically and, you know, metaphorically and physically. But it's a, it's an easy one to see and it's an easy one to understand, mm-hmm. and it's a great example of it. Keep it simple, stupid. Here's the basics. Here's this. But at the same time, he's a lot deeper than he lets on. Yeah, 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 definitely. So that's villain number one. Take us into sidekicks. All right. So sidekicks, uh, they're kind of the. It's like the third point of the triangle, right? Uh, Villains act as a binary foil to their heroes. And a sidekick is there to explore aspects of the hero's journey that you couldn't explore on their own, right? You know, we we see this pretty classic with my my personal favorite, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, But the sidekick is able to show the more emotional side of the hero, the, the need to protect, the, the, the mentor, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and I, I actually did a little bit of etymology here. Uh, the, the origin of the term sidekick actually comes from pickpocket slang of the late 19th and early 20th century. Um, the kick was the front uh, pocket in a set of trousers, and it was known to be the safest from thievery. So the idea of a sidekick uh, was always meant to kind of indicate somebody's closest confidant, uh, you know, your, your, your brother in arms. DJ dropping some knowledge on us today. Right? I love it. 
the earliest sidekick in uh, in in literary history was uh, Enkidu from the Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, so if you're if you're looking to kind of find out the classic example, uh, check that out. Uh, but my, I, I'm actually going in reverse order from what Mark is doing. He's saving his best for last, and I'm bringing my favorite to the <laughs> forefront. Uh, so the the most classic example of a sidekick, I, I feel like a- everybody would agree with this, is Robin, Batman's Robin. Yeah, I mean uh, he he he's the prototype. He is, and I mean Robin's been around since uh, very early on in Batman. Like I think his origins are in you know the '60s, just like. Batman is. Um, no, I think it's earlier than that. Isn't it the 40s? I don't actually know. I thought Batman Hang on, was, I'm going to Google this. Keep yeah, going. Keep going. Um, so uh, Batman is, when you look at the Batman comic, you look at Detective Comics, you look at Batman, uh, there are a lot of characters. And really, you can kind of boil Batman down to to basically four or five characters. There is a villain, the Joker being the the most prevalent example. Then there's Batman. Then there's Alfred, Robin, and Detective Gordon. And with those five characters and a just a huge amount of side characters, you can get pretty much any Batman story. And the reason why Robin is really interesting, and I think it kind of goes into what is my personal opinion the 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 inherent value of a well-written side character um go off on a tiny bit of a tangent here uh i almost never list the main character of a story as my favorite character it's actually uh, an argument that my wife and i have constantly uh (laughs) i always focus on the side characters because to me a well-written hero is easy that's the entire point of your damn story but a well-written side character can be a bit of a surprise. Uh, side characters are very easy to forget. They're very easy to just make one-dimensional, have them enter and then leave the story as if they were on rails. A well-written side character can really flesh your story out in a dimension you weren't really expecting. And I think that's what Robin does. Robin, from the beginning, was the other side of the same coin. And if you look at the traditional... Uh, Bruce Wayne, Dick Grayson kind of dynamic. Bruce Wayne was your very serious Batman. He everything was serious. All of this had been born out of his parents getting murdered in an alley and embracing his fear of bats. Like everything is serious and grim dark. And then in comes this uh, th- this acrobatic punk who's all about uh, you know making Spider Man esque quips and jokes, and laughing. And, you know, if you had left Robin out of the story, you'd have a tortured bat and a tortured clown with an overworked detective and a, and a butler. With Robin, you get to see Batman break out of his shell. You get to see Batman care and act as a mentor. You get to see what losing Robin does to Batman. And, oh boy, have we seen that time and time again. Wolf. Yeah, um, so I that's why I tend to really like side characters, and that's why Robin is not just one of my favorite characters. He's my favorite superhero of all times. I uh, have loved him ever since I first saw Batman Forever and got to see this kind of sarcastic 
uh, you know, sidekick character. And I was like, who the hell is that? And why is he wearing red in a grim dark universe? Um, so I, I, I love Robin. There's so many Robins. So if you're curious about going out there and, and learning more about it, there's, I, I tend to collect every Robin comic I can get my hands on. Uh, but Robin started out, you know, your big three, Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, all have amazing stories. Uh, in the middle there, there were two female Robins at different timelines. Those Carrie Kelly and Stephanie Brown. I definitely recommend checking out uh, The Dark Knight Returns for a really good Robin story there. God, I'm reading that now. It is so fucking good. Yeah, it is. Uh, And then you get into my personal favorite, Damien. uh, Damien Wayne, who's Batman's son. Uh, And then way later, um, after Damien, I think Damien was established in the Grant Morrison run as Robin. Um, But there was a period of time in the Snyder Capullo run of Batman where uh, there was a crowdsourced group of teenagers who were fighting crime because Batman was missing. Uh, so if you if you that seems up your alley, you can check out um, the story of the of what almost became the next Robin. His name's Duke Thomas, and I think his I think his name is like Spectre or or the Silence or something like that. It's an S name. He's got his own superhero costume and everything. Uh, but check out uh, the storyline We Are Robin, and it just gives you uh, a really interesting glimpse into just the side characters. What would Gotham be if there, there wasn't just one Robin? There were many, and they had to step up and defend Gotham because Batman was gone. I found the answer to our question. Oh? The very first appearance of Robin was in Detective Comics number 38, April 1940. Whoa, okay, I was way off. So I believe, much like uh, Action Comics number 23, the first appearance of uh, Lex Luthor is my holy grail, I believe this may become your holy grail. And so I've already taken the liberty. I found one for sale for you. (laughs) Yeah, you'll have to send that Uh, over. Buy it now. Do you want to take a guess as to the price? It's on eBay. It's a uh, for those of you playing the home game on the grading. It is a one grade. Oh Jesus, that's probably like five hundred dollars. Twenty seven thousand. Oh Jesus! But hey, it says right here financing available. Well, I guess I'm selling the truck then. Believe it or not, that's actually about 15000 cheaper than Action 23. Uh, an Action 23 with no cover was the cheapest one that I ever found, and that was about $38,000. Jeez. Yeah. So you and I are both never going to get our grails. No, we are never <laughs> getting our grails. But it's okay. I do have the first appearance of Damian Wayne as, as Robin. So I, well, I'll there we go. Good. Okay. All right, who's your second? My second is uh, someone that I thought was very neat as a child and someone that uh, was directly influenced in a way by the first, but at the same time was what I call a quote-unquote realistic villain, and that is the cigarette-smoking man from the X-Files. Nice. And now a lot of what makes the cigarette-smoking man cool is that the stuff he does is very realistic in the X-Files universe. And we don't have enough time in the day to explain the X-Files universe. No. There have been literal studies written about it. Uh, 
But basically, it's the world is our world. It's just sort of different. In comic book parlance, think of an alternate Earth almost. But uh, the cigarette smoking man, which that's his name, he never he gives aliases, but he does not have a uh, canon name. He's sometimes called the Sea Man or the Cancer Man, which was his initial uh, name in the pilot script. And then Fox told them, "Eh, maybe change that. (laughs) So uh, he debuted in the pilot September 10th, 1993. And his last appearance was in 2018 during the uh, Brought Back series, the little six-episode miniseries they did. Same actor, same everything. So the cigarette-smoking man has been there at the beginning. He's there at the end. He is everywhere. He's like Schrodinger. Uh, Some of the things in the X-Files universe he is credited with uh, is starting the war in Vietnam, killing Martin Luther King Jr., uh, sabotaging the American Civil Rights Movement, Killing the surviving aliens uh, at Roswell. Uh, The Anita Hill-Clarence Thomas controversy. Selling weapons to Saddam Hussein. Moving the Rodney King trial to Simi Valley, California. Uh, The independence of Bosnia, Herona, Bosnia. I can never pronounce the second one, I'm sorry. Herzegovina. Herzegovina, thank you. Uh, And on the lighter side, keeping the Buffalo Bills from ever winning the Super Bowl and drugging Soviet goalkeeper Vladislav Tretek before the miracle on ice. Damn. (laughs) And that's just what we know of from this show. Uh, He interferes directly with Mulder and Scully in every way they can, both helping them at times and hindering them at other times. Uh, In a direct tribute slash ripoff to Darth Vader, you find out later that he is canonically Fox Mulder's father. It makes sense in context. I'm not going to get into it. (laughs) Uh, Later on, he discusses the uh, current, well, it was before QAnon, if you remember 10 years ago, which feels like a century ago. But if you remember 10 years ago, before QAnon, what was the big controversy? It was chemtrails. Oh, Jesus. Well, the cigarette smoking man is responsible for all of the chemtrails. So uh, I tell you all that because, you know, he does all these just incredible things. And when you sit there and you read that, you know, you just kind of chuckle. But over the course of the 15 years that The X-Files was on, actually longer than that if you count the movies and the the reboot, it was closer to 20, it was all completely believable. And it all made sense. And you saw him, quote-unquote, die on screen three or four times, and then he would come back like a season, two seasons later, and they would have an explanation for it. You'd go, oh, all right, I, I, I guess. <laughs> so it played on your willing suspension of disbelief, but it worked. And part of the reason why it worked, and you mentioned that you and Holly often have arguments over sidekicks. My wife cannot understand why I often root for a villain. <laughs> she, just, she, she doesn't get it. She doesn't understand why I want properly written villains. She just wants, you know, the good guy to win, to get the girl, to get on the horse and ride off into the sunset. And that's fine. But we just have a difference of opinion. And one of the reasons is a really well-written villain is cool. And the cigarette-smoking man was cool. (laughs) He'd be there in a suit. He would be chain-smoking. He is the... Uh, thing that they ripped off in Mass Effect for the elusive man. 
that that thing sitting, you know, uh, Martin Sheen sitting there with an ashtray full of cigarettes. That was the cigarette smoking man in 1993. Mm-hmm. He was in a majority of episodes of the first season. Do you know how many scripted words he had? Not lines, words he had the whole first season? No. Four. Wow. He didn't need to talk. You just knew this guy's the big badass. Shit's going to go down when he's around. I mean, it's the reason why we love good heel turn, right? Yes. You know, you want something that makes you go, wow, okay. And you want aura. You want presence. Margaret Thatcher once famously said, being in power is like being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, you aren't. (laughs) Being evil is like being a lady. If you have to brag about how evil you are, you're not. And the cigarette-smoking man never had to brag about how evil he was. That's amazing. Canonically, everyone was scared of him, and that made him cool. That's so good. Who's your second? Uh, My second is, I think, probably one of the best literary examples of a sidekick that really helps drive the story. And that is Samwise Gamgee from the Lord of the Rings series. Okay. Uh... I love Sam. Everybody should love Sam. Sam is the entire reason that that the plot of those books actually happens. Everybody needs a good Sam. There are very, very, very many sidekicks that are weirdly named Sam. Uh, There are, aren't there? There really are. You can check them out. Uh, It's hilarious. Um, But Sam is kind of the quintessential best friend, power of friendship, ride or die sidekick. You know, the, you, you kind of read Lord of the Rings and the whole story is about let's get Frodo to the damn mountain so he can throw the ring in. And yet at every turn where Frodo's about to give up or Frodo needs a push forward or Frodo needs hope or Frodo needs somebody to wash his back, it's Sam every single time. I mean, hell, Sam is the one who picked Frodo up at the end and hauled him up the mountain to make sure that, that Frodo could fulfill his destiny. It's the, he's a quintessential literary character. He's kind of bumbling. He's, he's down to earth. He doesn't think much of himself. He reveres our hero. He, uh, you know, he, ride or die is the best way to describe Sam. Like whatever Frodo needs, Sam is there. I, I mean, Reading Lord of the Rings for the first time can definitely be an emotional experience. I think I cried the hardest when Sam had to leave his his precious cooking pot at the bottom of the mountain to haul Frodo's ass up that mountain. But Sam, Sam, Sam is a really great example of a sidekick. Sam is a great example of a sidekick. And I think I think everyone in their lives has a Sam on one level or another. It's true. And uh, to kind of like close out that literary, um, that the literary example, another really commonly known sidekick in, in literature is Doctor Watson. Yes. You know, if you've read Sherlock Holmes, you've seen any interpretation of Sherlock, uh, you know that Sherlock Holmes would not be nearly as prolific of a detective without his you know, able sidekick, Dr. Watson, to kind of, you know, care and write down all of those stories and be there to back Sherlock up. 
So that there's so many really great examples of of literary sidekicks, but Sam and Watson are, are my my two personal favorites. That is a, a great segue because before I get into my last one, I had two quote unquote honorable mentions. One of which was Maiority. Uh, and the other one was uh, Vince McMahon, the on-screen character, not the real person, uh, because they were both perfect foils to their respective heroes, whether that be Sherlock Holmes or uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. So if you want the perfect balance of yin and yang, look up either one of those. And if we ever do a five-pack of villains, those two would be on my list. Nice. But that brings us to the big one. Not just my favorite supervillain, my favorite character in all of fiction. It's true. Uh, full disclosure, I am an absolute mark and collector for this next person. I've seen the wall. It's gotten bigger since the last time you've been over. Mm-hmm. And that is, of course, Alexander Joseph Luther. Or, as you know him, Lex Luther. Lex Luthor, of course, is the leader of Superman's rogues gallery, which is really good at the top. You have Lex Luthor and you have Brainiac, and then it kind of thins out, <laughs> if we're being honest. Uh, but Lex is at the top, and they've crossed him over a lot. Lex also debuted in 1940. 1940 was a good year, man. Yeah, Robin and Lex. Uh, Action Comics number 23. And Lex Luthor is... Uh, I pick him because... He is a great example of a villain evolving over time, which we will talk about. But he is a great example of how you have to pull yourself out of the universe that they're in to understand them. Yeah. I was a kid. I loved comic books. I hated Superman comic books. Now, admittedly, part of that is probably because my father is obsessed with Superman. And, you know, especially when you're a little kid, for the most part, what your parents like isn't cool. Uh, some things still aren't cool. The doors, for example, they're not cool. <laughs> uh, but later on, I started to get into Superman comics. But as a kid, I hated them. Because I'm sorry, I know it's cliche. I know people are going to roll their eyes when I say this, but Superman is boring. He's dull. He's a geek. He's just, he's a loser, but he's indestructible and he's godlike and he's the perfect hero and every frat boy dude bro with any type of bicep has a big S tattooed on their arm. It's true. However, as I got older, I started reading and I really started relating to Lex Luthor. And it wasn't just the whole on again, off again hatred with his father. Uh, the premise of Lex Luthor is you have to take yourself out of the comic book universe. You have to think, what if an alien from another planet with all these godlike abilities showed up on Earth tomorrow? We would all be scared out of our goddamn minds <laughs> and we would try to kill him at every go. For some reason, the only person in DC's universe that thinks that is Lex Luthor. <laughs> Superman just showed up on DC's Earth and everyone went, cool, you're never going to turn on us, right? And he's like, no, of course not, because I'm lame. But what if he wasn't lame? So once you realize that Lex is actually the only sane person 
with the exception of Bruce Wayne sometimes, he makes a hell of a lot more sense. It's true. Uh, now, as I also said, he has evolved over time. His original appearance, DJ, do you know what he was in his very first original appearance? I don't. He was a cult leader. And he didn't have a first name. He was just Luther, or the Great Luther. That's... Uh, while I'll never own Action 23, Lou was nice enough one year for Christmas to get me a reprint, so I have read the story. Nice. It's terrible. Uh, <laughs> he then later on became an arms dealer during World War II. And while he certainly wasn't the only one, he is, to my knowledge, the first comic book character to actually get the Department of Defense angry at him, the real-life Department of Defense. <laughs> what? Because in 1944... He was an arms dealer in Canon, and Siegel and Schuster wrote him to have an atomic bomb. And this was at the height of the Manhattan Project. And the Department of Defense went, nope, 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 nope. And so those uh, comic books and comic strips, Batman, or Superman rather, was a newspaper comic at the time. That whole arc was delayed two and a half years till the end of 1946. Because the government just went, nope. <laughs> uh, then in the Silver Age, he became Mad Scientist Lex, arguably the one uh, most people know uh, that are our parents' age, especially if you watch Challenge of the Super Friends, where he has the purple and green jumpsuit with the suspenders. And The more I've read of Lex over the years, that's probably my favorite because he was your quintessential movie mad scientist, but even when Superman captured him, he never could imprison his mind. His mm-hmm. brain was his ultimate weapon, not the kryptonite. Uh, then in 1983, with the Kenner Superpower series, he actually got his first super suit, uh, which was based on his own planet, Lexor, which we don't have time to get into that storyline, but he had his own planet where he was worshipped as a god. <laughs> and he developed a suit that allowed him to fight hand-to-hand with Superman, And that carried him through the 80s. And then the late 80s, early 90s, they decided that this is getting stale. He can't be a mad scientist anymore. And that was when they brought him back as billionaire business mogul Lex Luthor. Mm. And what is now hilarious in hindsight, without getting too political, is uh, in 88, 89, 90, Lex Luthor was a direct parody and a takeoff of Donald Trump. This is all well out there. You could do all the research um, to the point where the uh, Lex Luthor, the unauthorized biography, autobiography, which is uh, a one shot, which, of course, I own, is literally a redo of the cover of Trump's Art of the Deal. Same font, same layout, same everything. Uh, And with that, he became sort of the man behind the man. He became Superman's penguin. So now he was a villain with good publicity and, you know, he owned everything in Metropolis and he was behind everything that happened, but Superman could never nail him because he could never really prove who he was. Mm -hmm. And that worked for a while. And then after that, they're like, eh, we're going to bring the super suit back. And now he's sort of a combination of all of them. Uh, He joined the Justice League for a little while, which was different. Mm -hmm. And then they realized that nobody wanted a good Lex Luthor. So then they turned him again. They brought Superman back, because that's the thing. Once Superman's gone, Lex Luthor isn't evil anymore. So Superman was gone in storyline. Lex joined the Justice League. 
Superman comes back, Lex goes back, yada, yada, yada. We won't get into the year of the villain because that just ended and people might not have read that, so I don't want to do any spoilers. But, oh my God, the year of the villain was great. So yeah, Lex is very believable. He makes a lot of sense if you sit and think about it. And he's evolved over time. Uh, He was voted number 10 uh, by IGN of the greatest supervillains of all time. And I recently saw on Polygon, Polygon this past March did a poll of the greatest DC supervillains. And much to my pleasant surprise, Lex Luthor was voted number one. Excellent. He actually beat out the Joker. That's amazing. So I was very happy about that. So, yeah, Lex Luthor, fan-fucking-tastic. You forgot my personal favorite interpretation of Lex, which was his role in Blackest Night. Oh, yes. He's very good in Blackest Night. Um, You know, he meets Death of the Endless and then proceeds to try to bribe her. Yep. Uh, And, you know, it's it's great. Uh, There... There are so many great arcs. I mean, Lex Luthor, Man of Steel, is fantastic. Blackest Night is fantastic. His role in No Man's Land, which is actually a Batman story, but Lex Luthor kind of is the power behind the power in that, is absolutely fantastic. Um, I enjoy some of the things they do when they cross him over with Batman and they cross him over with Flash and different things. Mm. Uh, Batman, Superman, Public Enemies, if you've never read that. That is a great 12-issue arc. Uh, hell, he becomes president, you know, and he was unjustly impeached. <laughs> but but vote Lex. <laughs> I, I've always enjoyed the comparisons between Lex Luthor and Doctor Doom. Yes. Yeah. It, uh, if, if you ever really want to go crazy with analysis, you can kind of, you can take a little bit of DC, a little bit of Marvel. And they're very different characters, but they've got kind of that same sort of sinister intelligence and he also crosses over uh, to a lesser extent with Dr. Octopus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much so that in the Superman-Spider-Man crossover, Doc Ock and Luther team up. That's so and good. That's my second grail. That one I probably will own someday. I'm kicking myself. I had that one in my hand at a comic book convention, and they wanted $350 for it. And I had the money, but I was like, man, that's a lot of money for a comic book. And it's like a thousand now. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, it's really crazy. kicking myself. Yeah. So my, uh, my two honorable mentions before I kind of get into this last category of sidekicks is um, the first one is Chewbacca. Because, I mean, we can't mention Darth Vader without mentioning a Star Wars sidekick. It's true. And Chewbacca is a great example of the the authority behind a hapless hero you know han solo would not be nearly as effective as as the character that he is without chewbacca growling behind him and my last one is a little bit of a deep cut uh i don't know how much of a cult classic this is have you ever seen boondock saints oh yes uh rocco from the Boondock saints uh, kind of pro- providing that perfect example of a comedic foil behind uh, some heroes. So uh, if, you, if you ever get a chance, you want to see a really funny, kind of ridiculously useless sidekick, uh, check out Boondock Saints. My final example, and I, I feel like I had to pull this because the entire concept of the show uh, pivots on the sidekick characters, 
is the idea of the companions in Doctor Who. Okay. Now, I, I don't think I've actually mentioned on the podcast my deep and abiding love of Doctor Who. Um, now, see, unlike Disneyland, I did know this one. Yeah. Uh, so Doctor Who, uh, for those of you who don't know, get off your ass and go watch it. Uh, it's it's one of the longest, I think it might be the longest running television show ever, but it's not the longest running continuous show, I'm pretty sure. That might still be The Simpsons. Um, I was going to make a joke about Supernatural, but we'll just move on. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Who has uh, been around well over 50 years at this point. I think they're coming up on their 60th anniversary. And Doctor Who's kind of split. The first seven iterations of the Doctor uh, are kind of known as Classic Who in that... um, it, that kind of exists as its own thing. Then there was a movie in the 90s, which is just ridiculously terribly amazing. I recommend everybody watch it, and it's uh, it's the eighth Doctor. And then starting in 2005, we have what's kind of colloquially called New Who uh, with Doctors 9 through 13 uh, and whatever comes next. Uh, and Doctor Who, you know, the, the, the byline of Doctor Who here is it's a show about an alien known as the Doctor who is a time traveler and his adventures trying to set wrongs right in the universe and he always travels with one or more human companions. Um, And there usually isn't a romantic element. They played with that a bit in New Who uh, and they've kind of drifted away from it. But the, the companions are just a solid example of how a sidekick can uh, kind of prove out the humanity of the hero. And that's that's so prevalent in a show like Doctor Who, where the hero is just not human. He is a alien time traveler who just happens to look human. And you've got these really great companions, most of which are female, uh, but there's some really great male examples too. But in 2005... I actually always find this fact really interesting about Doctor Who uh, to kind of drum up support for this rebirth of the show that hadn't been around forever. Uh, They brought in a British pop star to play the companion. Uh, So Billy Piper uh, plays Rose Tyler uh, in the first two seasons of the show. Uh, and, And Rose is amazing. Uh, she's pretty classic. Uh, you know, we move on to uh, Martha, who kind of falls in love with the Doctor, but is kick-ass in her own right. Um, and that's Martha Freeman, I believe. Uh, no, I never remember her name, uh, her, her first name. Uh, but then we have Catherine Tate as Donna Noble. Uh, we get, uh, after Donna, we get one of the more um, recognizable pairs from New Who. We get Amelia Pond and and Rory Williams, uh, uh, which kind of directly leads us into Clara, then Bill, uh, and then we've got kind of our, our current run of companions, uh, Yaz, Ryan, and Graham. Uh, and, and the entire concept of the companion is the Doctor flies in uh, to the Earth, fixes a problem, ends up having this hanger on, invites them to go time traveling, and then hilarity ensues. And sometimes it's n- not quite hilarious. Um, but you look at characters like Robin, you look at characters like Watson, you look at, at characters like a Doctor Who companion, you know, Rose or 
or, or uh, Donna. And the entire concept of these characters are to be foils for the heroes. It's to kind of show that there is another side to the hero than what you see, that the hero is human or the hero is braver than you would think or that the hero can care in a way that they don't. And that's what I really love about especially Doctor Who companions because they're all different and they're all wonderful. So that, that kind of closes out sidekicks for me. And another shameless plug, uh, go back and look up the Top Gear episodes with uh, Billy Piper and, um, oh, God, who was the doctor? I could David picture Tennant. Him. David Tennant. Uh, they appeared, I believe, on the same season. It wasn't the same episode, but I believe on the same season. And just the two of them ragging on each other is hysterical. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, there's just so much that is wonderful and pure about Doctor Who. Everybody should watch at least New Who. But Mark, take us out. I think we're running over a little bit. Wait, what? We're talking about superhero, super villains and sidekicks and we went over? No. <laughs> but, but yes, this has been Season 3, Episode 1. We want to thank you all for listening. We want to thank you all for downloading and subscribing. We've been getting our numbers, our data off of Podbean, and it is just fantastic. Um, you know, we're on about two dozen different platforms, so wherever you want to listen to us, uh, you, you can get us on there. The full list is on our Facebook page. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, we're on YouTube and SoundCloud, although we don't have anything on either one of those last two. <laughs> but we are the Wit and Whiskey cast. There is uh, no E in whiskey. No, there is an E. God damn it. This isn't <laughs> a, even a bit. There is an E in whiskey. There's no H in wit. Fucking Christ. Um, we're going to get that T-shirt made. Uh, uh, we're the wit and whiskey cast at gmail.com as well. Uh, big shout out to Duno Henry Silva. It does our intro and our outro. We still love you. Three seasons on. He's still with us. Uh, we'll have the link to his SoundCloud, which does have things on it, unlike ours. <laughs> so check that out. Did we decide what we want to do next week? No, I don't think we did. All right, what do you want to do next week? <laughs> I think you get to pitch things to me, buddy. Hmm. Well, I actually made a list. I have to find where it is. Now, I have talked to Allison about coming and talking about Pathfinder, but I don't think she'd be ready for this coming Sunday. That's fair. But she is, uh, she is going to show up at some point for this season. Uh, you know, we have talked about doing the big Mondo two-parter that you and I were talking about, but I don't know if we're ready for that one yet. Uh, you, all, you know, do we want to jump into a, a hot take in whiskey with the second episode? Because I mean, we have two possibilities for hot takes and whiskeys. What do you got? Well, we could do music, <laughs> which may get us kicked off of every platform known to man. I like it. Uh, or we could do automobiles, ooh, because we do have some we do have some hot takes on automobiles. Hmm, I don't know if I have as many hot takes about automobiles. Well, we could do music then. Let's do music. Let's do hot takes on music and just get half of our fan base alienated. Cool. So, all right. So, for many of you, next week will be the last time you listen to us. <laughs> yeah. Join us for hot takes. And whiskey music coming at you in one week's time. <laughs> we can't wait. And in the meantime, salute. Cheers. Cheers.